For Christ also suffered for sins. Once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring you to God. After being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. Good morning, Crossroads family. Happy Resurrection Day. Can you imagine Barabbas on that Good Friday, having rightly received the sentence that his crimes deserved, being sentenced to die as a criminal on a cross, only to receive his sentence being rescinded and his freedom being granted all at the expense of an innocent man? Have you ever experienced not being punished for something that you did? Maybe like me, you felt that feeling in the pit of your stomach when those lights from the patrol car come up from behind. And you look down at your speedometer only to realize that it must be broken because it's clearly reading a lot faster than you think you're actually going. And so the thought goes through your head that, oh no, oh great, I'm going to receive a big fine. I can't afford this. This is not good. My insurance is going to go up. I sure hope those registration papers and insurance papers in my glove compartment are current. And you begin to prepare to, to pull over to the side of the road only to experience the cop whip around you and nail the guy in front of you. (laughs) Have you ever experienced that? You deserved punishment, but you didn't receive it. Maybe it changes you a little bit. Maybe you decide to slow down. Or maybe you feel lucky And you gun it knowing that the cop has already pulled somebody over. The reality is Barabbas experienced that moment in his life that day. But we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened with him. Did he begin to change his life, allow God to intervene and and begin to work on a changed heart and life? Or did he go back to the life that he once lived. We don't know. But maybe you can identify with that story that I shared. If you're a driver, I'm sure you can. Chances are high that most of us who drive have experienced that speeding ticket escape scenario. But chances are very low that any of us have found ourselves locked up on death row. And chances are even lower that anyone would be willing to take your place in that situation. But that's exactly what happened when Jesus, the Prince of Peace, took the place of Barabbas, a violent insurrectionist, and died in his place on a cross. The great reformer Martin Luther has been credited with labeling this event the Great Exchange. 
The innocent one, Jesus, became guilty so that the guilty might become innocent. New Testament theologian N.T. Wright suggested, the story of Barabbas invites us to see Jesus' crucifixion in terms of the stark personal exchange. Barabbas deserved to die. Jesus died instead. Barabbas went free. All four Gospels reference this great exchange of Jesus for Barabbas. However, the Bible is silent as to what took place in Barabbas' life after he was released that Friday. What the Bible writers do speak on is the character of this man, Barabbas. Matthew calls him a notorious prisoner. Matthew 27, 16, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Mark describes him as a rebel. And among the rebels that were in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Mark 15, 7. Luke lets us know that Barabbas was a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started there in the city of Jerusalem, and for murder. And in Acts, Peter spoke of Barabbas as a murderer, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. He found no guilt in this man. He was innocent. Pilate tried to set him free, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Acts 3, 13 and 14. You see, Pilate tried to release Jesus. He had the authority to release prisoners. He was the judge. He was the jury. He was the executioner. And he found no fault in the man Jesus. But he was overcome by the crowd's insistence that he release Barabbas instead. Notice the description of Barabbas in John chapter 18. Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? This man Jesus? They cried out again, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber, John said. The word John used to describe Barabbas as a robber is the word in the Greek, lestes. Lestes can mean robber, but it's probably more accurate to say the word here refers to a man who is an insurrectionist, who led a revolt against Rome. In fact, the same word in the Greek is translated as insurrection in both Mark and Luke's account. Biblical scholar D.A. Carson noted, neither theft nor violent robbery was a capital offense in Rome. But insurrection, rebellion against the government, in an attempt to overthrow it, it certainly was a capital offense. 
They were common among the people of that day. Rome was an oppressive government, kind of like California. And there were many a man who had it in his heart to want to overthrow the government that was so oppressing the people of that day. Some might not consider Barabbas a notorious villain, but rather a hero. The reason Barabbas might have been viewed as a hero is because the Israelites of that day were sick of the oppression of the Roman Empire. Perhaps Barabbas had been so fed up with his circumstances that he did what others were afraid to do. Some may have seen Barabbas as a man who was actually trying to save his people from the Roman machine. Even his name may suggest this. There is substantial evidence that Jesus Barabbas was his name. What irony. When Pilate stood up and said, which Jesus do you want me to release? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Christ? Jesus means salvation. It means deliverance. Would you rather me deliver or release to you the deliverer called Barabbas, who led an insurrection, who's a murderer, or would you rather me release Jesus of Nazareth, the one who claims to be the Christ? Which Jesus do you want me to release? And the crowd shouted all the louder, Give us Barabbas. What then shall I do with this man, Jesus? What shall I do with this man, Jesus? And the crowds cried, Crucify him. Crucifixion was violent. It was painful. It was a trademark of Roman power. It was used to deter the people from insurrection. You didn't want to end up like Barabbas was about to end up, hanging from a cross, tortured in front of all the people to witness and see. Some scholars suggest that the two men that were crucified on either side of Jesus may have played a role with Barabbas in the very insurrection that he was accused of and convicted of. Matthew chapter 27, verse 38, hints at this reality. Then the two robbers, remember that word robber? It's the same Greek word used that's translated insurrection. So you could even say this is, then the two insurrectionists were crucified with him, with Jesus, one on the right and one on the left, Matthew 27, 38. It's likely that these men were being crucified because they, like Barabbas, played a role in the insurrection. They weren't being crucified because they stole a milk jug or that they, you know, broke into somebody's house. That wasn't a capital offense. They weren't a common thief, as we sometimes think. No, they had rebelled. They had decided to take a life as a revolt against the Roman occupation. D.A. Carson suggests that the fact that three crosses were prepared strongly suggests that Pilate had already ordered that preparations be made for the execution 
of these three rebels, Barabbas included. So if Jesus the Messiah actually took the place of the rebel Jesus Barabbas, because the people preferred the political rebel and the nationalist hero to the Son of God, if indeed that was the case, then Jesus probably was crucified on the cross originally intended to hold Barabbas. As the Barabbas character said in the scene we just watched, he took my place, and this changes everything. It's interesting to to note also that Barabbas, the name means son of the father. How ironic that the, the man known as the son of the father was let go when the true son of the father, the son of God, was hung on a cross in exchange. The march to the cross was filled with anguish that should have been Barabbas's pain and suffering, and it should have been ours. Biblical scholar William Hendrickson said it, said it this way, It must, however, be borne in mind that the suffering of the man of sorrows was not only intense, but it was vicarious. Remember what Isaiah 53 says in speaking about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. This is a prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus. And it leads to Barabbas. And it leads to you and me. The Apostle Peter later would recall the same vicarious suffering that Jesus endured at the great exchange when he wrote these words. He himself, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 1 Peter 2, 24. It should have been Barabbas scourged and led to death on that cross at Calvary. It should have been you, it should have been me. Our sins deserved punishment, and so did Barabbas's. Yet, because of the great love of God, because of the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, he took our place. That is the great exchange. This is, in fact, the climax and the focus of the whole gospel, the whole story of the good news as recorded in the scriptures. All of us are sinners, rebellious by nature. We turn away from what God says to do, and we do things our own way. All the human race should be invited into seeing themselves in the place of Barabbas. As we do, we will discover that Jesus came to take our place. Under condemnation for sin and wickedness, great and small, God's mercy reaches out where human mercy cannot reach. And he takes our place. Perhaps the question posed by Pilate echoed in the ears, heart, and life of Barabbas for years after that mercy-filled moment in his life. 
in what Pilate said in Matthew 27, 22. Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? You know, that's not just a question that Pilate asked. It's a question that every one of us needs to ponder. What will you and I do with this Jesus, this Christ? It's a decision we all face. We cannot be neutral about this. We either cry, crucify him. He isn't worthy of my worship, my love, and my affection. Let him do whatever he does. I don't care. We can be like the crowds. Or we can be the ones who bow on our knees like the soldier at the cross and said, surely this was the Son of God. And we recognize who he truly is. It's an inescapable question every one of us needs to face. The Apostle Paul summed up this great exchange in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he, speaking of God the Father, made him, speaking of God the Son, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Do you realize that that's the great exchange? That's the offering of grace to every one of us who are unworthy of receiving it. It is a free gift, freely offered to anyone who will come and bow their knee before Jesus. Saying, I need your righteousness. I need what you have to provide me. In and of myself, I stand before a holy God and I cannot measure up. I am doomed to a death sentence that I rightly deserve because of my sin. But Jesus offers his account in exchange for ours. That is an amazing truth. That is an amazing eternal truth. The great exchange is waiting for you. If you repent, if you turn away from your sin, and you allow Jesus to take all the pain and the suffering caused by your sin, the penalty of death that your sins rightly deserve, you can take on the righteousness of God. And you can live the life that he's always intended for you to live. Amen? Amen. 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 This isn't a speeding ticket. No, this is life change. It's the great exchange. Today, we don't just remember the death of Jesus, do we? No, today we celebrate a risen Savior. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For what I receive, Paul writes, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Is resurrection important? Dead people can't save anyone. A true Savior must be a living Savior. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, Paul continues, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's worthless, and you are still in your sins. But Christ has 
indeed been raised from the dead. He is risen. You guys are getting better. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam, the first sinner, the beginning of the human race, all die, so in Christ, the second Adam, we will all be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, hallelujah, those who belong to him. Who gets to go into heaven? Those who belong to Jesus. Have you bowed your heart? Have you bowed your knee to the Savior of the world? It's an open invitation. It's not too late. If you're breathing right now, it's not too late. Don't wait. Now is the time of God's favor. Let today be the day of salvation. The Bible records several accounts of Jesus interacting with his disciples after he rose from the dead. One of my favorites is in Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read that account for you right now. Luke 24, that very day, what very day? The day we celebrate today, the anniversary of today, Resurrection Sunday. That very day, two of them, two of the disciples that had been in Jerusalem, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven-mile walk from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Ooh, I get chills. Can you imagine? Jesus, resurrected Jesus, shows up. And he asked them, he plays dumb, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What are you, an idiot? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth. A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at his tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, beginning with the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, beginning with all of Scripture, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. You want to know about those stories? Who they're really talking about? Why they're in your Bible? It's to point you to Jesus. 
It's to point you to the redemption that God had always planned to provide through his son. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if they were, if they were going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did our, not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, the disciples, and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has it risen and has appeared to Simon Peter. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As I wrap up this morning, I have four things from this story I want to I challenge us with. Because the resurrection of Jesus means something for every one of us. Listen to these things. The risen Jesus will always meet you where you are. Did you hear me? I don't know your story of where you were and how you got here, but Jesus does. And he wants to meet you right where you are this morning. He met those men as they were journeying back from Jerusalem to their home. He wants to meet you right where you are this morning. Number two, the risen Jesus will always point you to the truth. Do you see how he opened up scriptures? And he pointed out the reality of what God had always intended for them to understand. Jesus always wants to point you in the right direction. The truthful direction. He's not here to deceive you. He's not here to take something from you. He's here to give. He's here to point you to truth. Number three, the risen Jesus waits for you to invite him in. Oh, he's patient. Not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance and a knowledge of the truth. This morning, he's being patient with you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He wants you to invite him in. Did he force his way into that house or did he ask to be invited in? Did he wait to be invited in? He waited, did he not? And they desired his company. They desired his lordship, his instruction. He was the teacher. Have you invited him in? And finally, the risen Jesus opens your eyes. He brings hope and purpose to life. Do you see what they did the moment their eyes were open? Remember, it was late in the day. They said, you shouldn't even walk any further because it's too late. Come on in. Stay with us. Did they go, oh, let's get up next morning and journey back to Jerusalem, seven miles? No. It was like the, probably getting dark, middle of the night. They're, they're going on a trail, which isn't very safe, but they didn't care anymore because they had a mission and a purpose in their life. They were ambassadors to tell the story that Jesus is alive. Are you being faithful to tell that story? Are you being faithful in the circles God has put you? 
to reveal to others around you that Jesus is alive and there is hope and there is purpose for life. Will you bow your heads with me this this morning? Pastor Kurt already quoted this verse. It's Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. It's not complicated. You don't have to do 20 Hail Marys. You don't need to be strong and do push-ups. You don't earn your way to heaven. It's impossible. Only through the blood of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ, is there a hope for your future. You must place your faith in him. You must declare him Lord. You must live him as Lord. Don't just say the words. It needs to be from the heart. Have you turned away from your sin? Have you believed that Jesus is your risen Savior? If you've never made that decision, I want to invite you in the quietness of this moment to do some business with God. And if you're unsure how to do that, there's going to be a prayer tent when we're dismissed out in the courtyard in just a minute. And there are men and women in the prayer tent who want to help you and lead you and pray with you and help you fully understand that you can have eternal life and that life is in the Son, Jesus Christ. Have you believed in your heart? And have you ever confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Jesus provided a way for us to do that. It's through baptism. It's through a public confession of our faith. As we dip into the water, it's a symbolic of the fact that we're buried with Christ. We identify ourselves with Jesus. And when we come out of the water, we're living a new life with Jesus' power. Resurrection power. Have you done that? Have you declared it publicly? We're going to see over a dozen people today in just a few moments. Declare publicly through baptism. It's going to be an exciting morning. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you sent one to be the one who would take our place. What our sins rightfully deserved, God, your grace says you don't have to pay for it. My son will pay instead because of my great love for you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for the resurrection. Because it's only a risen Savior that can truly save. God, we have confidence. In a month, I get to go see the empty grave. God, thank you. I ask as you dismiss us, God, help us to do business with you in our hearts and with our mouth. Help us to do what you're calling and urging us to do in this moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.